on this evening's message, and we will be reading this fourth chapter. If you have your Bibles there, or find one in the pew, turn to it, and we'll read all, I think it's 11, yes, 11 verses of the fourth chapter of Jonah. But it pleased Jonah exceedingly, uh, I'm sorry, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take I beseech thee my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd, and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head, to deliver him from his grief. And so Jonah was exceeding glad for the gourd. But God prepared a worm, when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass, when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted, and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? He said, I do well to be angry even unto death. And then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night, and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? This is the last sermon I will be preaching in the series dealing with Jonah. Tonight I want to deal with the subject, the strange displeasure. Jonah, according to his obedience now to God, had gone into the city of Nineveh where he preached the message that God gave him to preach, and that is that people should repent. And as a consequence of the sermon that he preached throughout the city, apparently all 200,000 people, the residents of Nineveh, repented of their sin, were down on their knees, and asked God to forgive them of their sin. And God did forgive them. And this made Jonah very angry. We see that he was very displeased with the fact that these people had repented, or he did not want them to repent. He was angry. He was angry at God for forgiving their sins. It might seem strange to think that there would be anybody who would not want someone to be saved. Certainly, strange that any Christian would not want a non-Christian to come to the Lord. But that isn't the way things are. There are many Christian people who find it displeasurable when they see other people becoming saved or becoming a part of the church. 
And let me just give a couple of reasons as to why this would be. The first, I think we would have to deal with the problem of prejudice. These people in the city of Nineveh were the enemies of Jonah and the Hebrew people. They were of another race, another color. He was not interested in them being saved, for they weren't like he was. He didn't think that they were worthy of salvation. So he was, he was prejudiced against them because of their race. But as well, many people are prejudiced because of culture. There are high churches and low churches, those that uh, uh, do things differently than we do. Uh, and I'll leave that to you to determine what would be the difference in the high church and the low church. But some churches are like people. They live across the tracks. They are of a different society, a different level of education. Some of them, people would say they have too much learning, and other people would say they don't have enough. They ought to find their own church where they fit. But this isn't the way that God looks at people. God sees them all as individuals who need salvation. And uh, there is no need for anyone to, to express a displeasure in the life of another. God does not see people by race or by culture or by upbringing or by education. He all sees them as sinners that need to be saved. And when it comes to the church, there are oftentimes we find that people are, uh, are not wanting certain individuals to become a part of the church because they might outdo or outgive or outpray or outlead. They might have the tendency to want to take over. The old guard of the church, the old members who have been there for a long time, might fall to the wayside, into the background as the new ones come along. And what it amounts to is that people would discover that someone else has come to play on their playground and it interferes with their method of playing and they don't really want to do it. Their easy type of religion has become disturbed. Well, this is a common sin, one that uh, Jonah experienced and one that we see in, in the church today and it amounts to simply to bigotry. It reveals narrow-mindedness. It, it prompts jealousy. It brings envy to the surface when others succeed. This happens within the church. I've attended um, pastors' meetings over the years, and I, we used to meet on Monday mornings. And I have never heard a pastor say that things weren't going too well in his church. Everything always goes good. We have the best attendance and the best response. And, and I preach my best sermon, and on and on we would go, because we don't want to let any other church get ahead of us. And there are churches that are uptown, and the churches that are country, the churches that are formal and informal, and each group would see the other as a different type of, of group, and uh, become jealous or, or envious if one group seems to fare better than the other, or grow in membership, or have more baptisms than the other. And we ought not do that. Uh, our interest in activities toward all people ought to be the same. We ought to be interested in seeing churches grow and people come to know the Lord. But this doesn't seem to be the thing that happens at all times amongst all Christian people. Now, the next thing that we can see about Jonah 
uh, is that he has been running from God, and God caught up with him, and we've learned now over these sermons I've preached that, that we can't run from God, because God's not going to allow us to escape his presence. And uh, here Jonah now had gone to do what the Lord had commanded him to do. He had preached to Nineveh, and the people had repented. And now Jonah is trying to uh, explain to God that that is the very reason that he ran away in the first place, is because he knew that God would hear the, the prayers of repentance and would forgive these people. And he didn't want them forgiven. This is a case of, of a person who, who, who illustrates an individual who wants his own way and doesn't get it. And if he doesn't get his own way, then he's going to grumble, and he's going to make a scene, and, go, and he's going to quit coming to church and go around to talk to anybody that will listen, and he can stir up trouble. Uh, they feel like they have been wronged, and, and, and when really that's not the case at all. All they have done is sinned, and in order to cover up their sin, they're going to try to justify their actions. And you and I have all have done that at times, to explain ourselves away we're going to find somebody that will sympathize with us. I don't think I've ever done a sin that I uh, admitted in public, but what I would, would seek out somebody who sympathized with me and had perhaps done the same thing, and that causes me to feel like, well, I'm justified in what I've done because here's somebody else that understands me. Well, this is not the case with uh, the way God works. He is not going to uh, take sympathy that, that somebody has for you and use that as a justification as to why you or why I should escape the punishment for our sin. Now, one of the things that he did, Jonah did in his, in his complaint to God, was he explained the type of person that God is, and he did it in an admirable way, although he didn't realize that he was doing it. He says that God is a very gracious God, and he said he's slow to anger, and uh, of plenteous in mercy, and of great kindness. I didn't really understand the word gracious, so I went to the dictionary and looked it up. And I found out that gracious means merciful. It means one who is compassionate, one who is marked by kindness and courtesy. Oh, that we in the church would be courteous, and would be known for our kindness, and would be compassionate and merciful. Oftentimes, we're ready to stomp on a person when he commits a sin. And that ought not to be our, our mode of operation at all. We ought to be always merciful and compassionate and kind and courteous. But he goes on to say that God is slow to anger. And indeed, he is. He's not anxious to, to see that anybody perishes. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And in order to make that possible, he's very slow to, to be angry in order that he might allow every person the opportunity of, of coming to salvation. He's very kind, of great kindness, Jonah says. But Jonah goes on and he's bitter and complains, and he says, I might just as well die and get it over with. I'm not going to get my way. All he's doing is looking for sympathy. Now, it is not up to you or to me to decide when our time for death is. That's God's responsibility. He'll tell us when our time on earth is ended, and we don't have to uh, 
uh, figure that out and tell God that our life is over, it's time for us to quit. That's what Jonah was attempting to do. And God comes back in verse 4 and makes a very pointed statement to him. when He says, you have no right to be angry. Why is it that we would get angry with God? What right do we have to say that God is wrong and that we're right and be angry with him? But that's what so many people seem to try to do. Well, since Jonah couldn't get his own way, he decided the thing for him to do was retire. Now, many of you have retired from your job and you're drawing a, a retirement income and, and you, have, you deserve it. You, you certainly ought to. But there is nothing in God's plan for retirement from God's service. Although we retire from our jobs, we do not retire from serving God. There just is no plan for that. Jonah decides that he is going to retire and become a spectator. He's no longer going to participate. He's going to go out on the hillside and sit down and say, see what goes on down there. Now, if you want uh, to become a spectator, then you can go to the ball field and sit in the stands and watch the game. I'm sure that we all realize that the benefit of any ball game is, is to build up the character of the people on the field not to provide entertainment for the people in the stands. That's not the purpose of our athletic program in schools. Our athletic program is to build men and women, build character, build quality of life, and it's done by the process of playing in competitive sports. But so many of us want to simply be a spectator, and many people go to church for that purpose. Now, if you want to be a spectator, you can find a whole lot better program as you sit in front of your television, or that somebody perform for you. You're not going to find much uh, of a performance on For me, I didn't do too good in, uh, in dramatics in school. I am, not, I am not an actor. So if you want to watch somebody perform, then, then watch your television. But we're here in church because we are a collective group uh, here for the purpose of serving God. Oftentimes, I hear the word they use, what they do at the church. They are doing this and they are doing that. And that tells me one thing, that the person who uses that word they is not at all interested in being a part of that function, a part of that fellowship. They don't want to be a part of what's going on. I hope that we will quit using the term they and use the term we. It's what we do here, what we are all about. We are the church. And we're here to serve God. And we're not spectators, but we ought to be on the field, on the team, playing and being a part of the activities of the church, and not somewhere on the sideline watching and criticizing what goes on. Now, Jonah did what God asked him to do. He went into the city and preached, and then he left. He wasn't there when it came time for support to help people make uh, work through their decisions and, and make up their mind as to whether they were going to serve God or not. And we can find this. This is one of the advantages of an evangelist. He can come in and preach and leave, but the pastor has to stay. And I have dealt with many, many of you on an individual basis in conversation because you've had problems. Uh, and, and that's where the, the real work is. But Jonah didn't want to be a part of that. He didn't want to touch people. He didn't want to get involved. He wanted to be on the sideline just watching what goes on. Now, the church door 
doors are open, and oftentimes we say to everybody, you, you come on in, come on in here. But Jesus said to go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come, which means that we leave the building, we go out into society, and there we try to convince people that there is a need for them to become Christian. Now, while Jonah was sitting out here on the hillside under that little booth that he made, God prepared a gourd that grew up and gave him shade. Jonah was so glad for that gourd because it did give him shade. But then God also prepared a worm to, in the morning to start gnawing at the, the root of, of that great uh, gourd that was growing there, giving him shade, and the root or the, the, the gourd died. And Jonah was so sorry that the gourd had died because it no longer provided him any shade. This says something about a sense of values, that Jonah was more interested and, and had more sympathy for the gourd that was growing than he did for a whole city of 200,000 people that was there before him. It's the little things, the little worm that can come along and can destroy great things. That's usually what happens in life whether it's in the home or in the church or on the job, uh, the little things is the one that eats away. Great armies, we have been told, have been destroyed simply because of neglect of little things. There's a little ditty that goes, for the want of a nail, a horse was lost, or a shoe was lost, rather, and for the want of a shoe, the horse was lost, and for the want of a horse, the rider was lost, and for the want of the rider, the war was lost, all because of the loss of a nail. Well, that certainly is true. In, uh, in our life, uh, it's the little things that really make the difference. And people allow little things in the church to overshadow the great values and benefits of things that happen. The same thing happens in marriage. I had a girl come into my office just last week and, and say, what, could you have any advice about how to handle uh, in-laws, and I could see immediately as the tears began to roll down her cheeks that she had a problem, and so I shut the door, and, and we sat down, and we talked, and she explained to me the problems that she was having. And it was all over uh, a problem of how to handle money, and when we began to compare the good things that she had in her marriages against the, the bad things, she realized that she was really making something big out of some wee little things in her life, and, and we do that in the church. All the problems that we have in the church are usually centered around some little insignificant thing that makes no difference. And we let that become so great. Here was a little worm that destroyed the gourd, and Jonah was so sorry that the gourd was destroyed, because, but it was just a little thing. His interest in those people was not very great. I don't know what your situation is tonight, but it may be little things that are eating away at your life. It's taking you away from the church, taking you away from Christ. And now is the time for you to come back to the Lord. If you're not a Christian, you ought to receive him as your Savior tonight. If you are one, but you've been wayward, you've been trying to run, then you ought to come back to the Lord because he's here waiting for you to repent of your sins so that he can save your soul.